My name is Pedro Mujabafid, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now, the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. Alright, let's start the show. Hi everyone, today we're discussing gastroenterology with Dr. Paul Urquhart, who is a gastroenterology consultant. Hi Paul, thank you for joining us. Hi Pedram, thank you. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your journey and how you've gone from being a medical student to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So I, um, I went through my undergraduate years at Melbourne University and then um, was based at Royal Melbourne as my clinical school um, as a medical student. After graduating in um, 2003, I um, worked as an intern uh, and then resident and registrar all through the, the Royal Melbourne Hospital. So did um, basic physician training um, and then went on to do my gastroenterology training. Um, first year was down at um, Hobart Hospital and then the second year I did at uh, the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Um, with gastro training, after doing basic physician training, the, the program is three years in length, two of which are, are core years, and then the third year is an elective year. So after doing my two core years, first at Hobart and then at Royal Melbourne, I then did a, a, a um, sort of sub-specialised third year as an endoscopy registrar at the Alfred Hospital. Um, so that enabled me to get specialist endoscopy skills. Um, after doing that year, I decided that I wanted to do a, an overseas fellowship to, to further develop my uh, endoscopy skills and experience. So then I, um, during my third, third year at the Alfred, um, organised to go over to Toronto in Canada uh, to a hospital called St Michael's. It's um, world-renowned for, for, for doing uh, good endoscopy, um, high-level endoscopy um, um, procedures. So I then spent one year over there uh, before coming back to Melbourne and, and starting work as a gastroenterologist. What makes a centre be the world's best at endoscopy? What is it about them that makes them so, I guess, appealing to go and study there? Yeah, I, I think um, the main reason I went to St Michael's is that they have, um, well, first, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, they're English speaking. Um, their medical system is very similar to, to the to one we have in Australia and probably most importantly the registration process for an advanced trainee to do a fellowship over there is relatively straightforward. You, you submit your, um, uh, your degrees, CVs, you do some paperwork and then you can get approved without having to do um, specific exams unlike the US for example where you need to do the US MLE to then go and do a fellowship. In terms of why I went to St Michael's um, for, for the clinical um, side of things, they, they've had an advanced endoscopy unit for about 25, 30 years, and they were one of the pioneers in developing endoscopy techniques, um, particularly in the 90s and, and early 2000s. Um, they've also had 
Australians there in the past and in fact um, the main reason I went there is one of my bosses at the Alfred had, had previously worked there 10 years so I, I had a personal contact with people over there and, uh, and, and they are very happy to have Australians go over there and, and work there. Yeah. When did you decide gastroenterology was the specialty you wished to pursue? Oh, that's a that's a good question, and and one that I don't really have a specific answer for. I, I went through um, medical school, and then my first year or two of of um, working without a clear idea of what uh, area of medicine I wanted to go in. I, I think the easy part was ruling out things that I didn't want to do. Uh, I decided I didn't want to do obstetrics and gynae, didn't want to do GP, didn't want to do surgery. So I was leaning down the physician pathway. And and in fact, I had a couple of friends that were, were a year above me that had done some gastro experience that, that um, I think persuaded me that it was a good specialty to consider. And the main reason I ended up deciding on gastro was that there was a procedural element to the subspe- to the specialty. So um, apart from just doing ward service or consulting patients in the room, I was really attracted to the fact that there was uh, a procedural part. So gastroscopies, colonoscopies are the procedures that all gastroenterologists learn how to do. Um, I then became became very enamoured with the endoscopy side of things and then went on to um, learn the procedures of uh, ERCP endoscopic ultrasound. So I've made that the main focus of, of my career and, uh, and, and I love it and, and really satisfied with, with that career choice. Was there ever a point where you might have been tossing up between for example, two specialties and you had to give one the flick or did you kind of, like you say, just, you just kind of trickled down and you kind of got pushed into gastro essentially? Yeah, I think there was definitely, probably the, the thing, the other specialty that I was um, seriously considering was on oncology. I'd done, and that was mainly because I'd done a rotation in second year in oncology at Royal Melbourne and had, had a really good boss, a really good registrar and had really enjoyed the experience uh, so that that was always at the back of my mind that I had enjoyed that exposure. Um, in in the end, I decided to apply for gastro and was lucky to get on. I think if I hadn't been successful, maybe that would have been a, a backup option. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's very hard to make definitive, clear choices when you're a junior doctor because uh, a lot of us um, get exposed to some areas of medicine but not others and even if you do get exposed to some areas of medicine it's a very um, it's a very narrow um, experience insofar as you're dealing with basically hospital inpatients most of the time and you do often some outpatients but there's a there's huge areas of each specialty that I think you, you don't necessarily get exposed to as a junior doctor as well so it's I think it's always a leap of faith when you do finally decide you do want to do um, a specific area of medicine. I think, like you say, it's quite interesting that a lot of the doctors end up deciding what they want to do because based off a really good rotation that they mm-hmm. had as a junior doctor with a really good team and good patients. And so I think that, like you say, it's really, it really comes into it. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. And I, my advice to um, junior doctors and medical students are if you've got an inkling that you might be interested in something, then definitely try and spend some time on that unit or get a rotation in that 
um, in that department or try and you know spend some extracurricular time you know getting exposed to the, to that specialty um, I think there are limited rotations available as a junior doctor um, but I think there's always opportunity to approach the head of a unit and ask if you can for example sit in during clinics or attend ward rounds so there's always opportunities to to try and get exposure to areas that you that you might be interested in. Just on that we get for example in medical school you get given a timetable of what your rotations are like and for example you might be told you have four weeks on you know, uh, general medicine or four weeks on like orthopedic surgery and whatnot. And oftentimes uh, this carries on for the duration of the entire uh, university year. So I guess some people might be a little bit hesitant to go, I guess, go against what they've been told to go to, to, the rotation that they've been told to go to in order to go and do these other things that they might be interested in. So for example, if I was interested in gastroenterology, but I didn't really get a rotation there for the whole year, I might be a little bit hesitant to go against what my like clinical school has told me, whereas you're, for example, on orthopedics for the next X number of weeks. Mm-hmm. How, do you get a, how do you get around that? Is it something that, for example, you might be coming in on weekends, or I guess you were not really encouraged to come in on weekends as students, both from a, uh, you know, a health perspective, you don't want to be spending your entire time here, and I guess from a... The university doesn't condone it either. So how do you get around that, would you say? Yeah, look, I think, um, look, it, it's difficult, and I guess I don't know the nuances of people's timetables and how much, how much, um, how many holidays you get and, and that sort of thing. I think my general experience is that um, the best person to approach is generally the head of the unit. And I think that most heads of units are very receptive to people that show a strong interest in in their department. And I know certainly in the gastroenterology department, our um, our head of department gets approached by medical students, junior doctors about doing particularly research is is a big one. I think people now recognise that they need to do some research if they want to try and get on to a training program. Um, so I, I think I don't think there's a prescriptive answer about when you should come in and get exposure to that unit, but I think at least opening up a discussion with the head of unit about what possibilities might exist is is probably the way forward. For example, you, um, you may be if you're a medical student, you may be able to organise an elective for a couple of weeks on the unit. Um, if you're particularly interested in, in a unit, you may be able to get the head of unit to talk with medical workforce to try and see whether you're able to fit in a couple of weeks yep. doing something instead of what you previously rostered, rostered to do. I think the main um, message, I think, is don't no, no one's going to come to you and offer you the perfect rotation or experience. I think you've got to go out and try and find it yep. uh, and shape your junior, your, medi- your medical student years and junior years into in in the area that you areas that you think you might be most interested in. Absolutely. You mentioned uh, doing research, especially as a junior doctor, and how important that is nowadays in order to get onto a program. As medical students, we, there's a bit of a push on us to start research very early. What do you think about that push, and do you think it's warranted? Should we be starting in uh, while we're in medical school, or at what point should we be starting? Because I guess the other thing is, if you don't really know what you're 
what you want to do in the future it's quite difficult to get a research project that excites you mm. and that you're doing for the purposes of i guess an end goal which is to get into a particular program yeah i, th- I think that that's quite a difficult question to answer and probably quite political as well i, I think in in general um you know the foundation of of our medical knowledge is is our evidence base so i think that research um, is is incredibly important in medicine in general, and I think that it is in very important that, that doctors coming through are able to critically appraise the available evidence as well as to potentially contribute to research in the future. Having said that, probably most doctors um, that graduate don't end up doing research. So people like um, GPs and a lot of specialists in private practice end up graduating, getting their degrees, and they go out and practice their specialty without doing research. I think we really get a skewed view of, of, of research in big tertiary hospitals. Um, so I certainly think that exposure to research um, is, is important in the early years. Um, Having, having also acknowledging that you don't want to spend huge amounts of your time doing a research in an area that you're, you're not particularly interested in and, and, and might never lead on to anything else. Um, my recommendation is probably to look for smaller, manageable um, research projects in, in, in an area that you're potentially interested in. So again, the best point of contact is probably the head of the unit um, who can often advise on what on what sorts of research is be, uh, are being done and, and maybe some small projects that are available. I think even if you don't end up um, pursuing a, a career in that specialty, at least having done some research and completed something, putting an abstract together and presenting it somewhere, demonstrates that you are capable of, of doing that, which looks good no matter which area of medicine you go into long term. Wonderful. We've got another awesome resource to introduce to you today. Common Rounds provides medical education by medical students for medical students, and they do it in a variety of mediums. They do it through things such as audio podcasts, mind maps, and YouTube videos. This initiative is run by three medical students from ANU, and they've been putting in the hard yards for quite a while now. So check them out on Facebook and their website by searching for Common Rounds on Facebook or www.commonrounds.org. For a list of other resources that we find useful, go to our website and click on the resources tab. How competitive would you say getting into advanced physicians training for gastroenterology is at the moment? Yeah, I think the the short answer it it is quite competitive and and certainly seems to be uh, more difficult to get into year by year or, or probably a better way to say that is is the bar seems to be raised year after year. Uh, certainly um, when I went through there wasn't such a focus on um, having done research in, in junior years and at that stage having done a rotation and being um, championed by the head of the unit just about guaranteed that you would get on the program. These days the selection process is a lot more objective so 
um, there are specific criteria looking at your CV, looking at the research you've done, looking at your referees. So um, I think it's, it's a lot more transparent and objective now than it used to be. I think gastroenterology in general is quite a popular um, specialty because it, it does cover a broad range of conditions. Um, there is a procedural aspect to it with endoscopy. Um, it's quite well remunerated particularly in private if, 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 if that's important to you. And in general, I think it, it, it um, is a potential to have quite a good work-life balance in gastroenterology. So all those things make it quite popular. Oh, quite a popular um, specialty to go to. So if, uh, are many people missing out on a year-by-year? Year? And I guess maybe a better question to ask is, all specialties are becoming quite competitive. Mm. How does gastroenterology compare to other physician-based training programs? Yeah, look, I, I, I'm probably not the best person to answer that. I, I'm not involved in selecting trainees, so I don't know uh, the intricacies of how many people get in and how many people miss out. Um, in terms of my um, understanding is that there's approximately 12 or 13 um, trainees accepted per year onto gastro training program and that includes Victoria and two uh, registrars in Tasmania, Hobart and Launceston. I think the current um, selection process, they invite um, applications of which I think they get about 40 to 50 per year. They then narrow that down to about 20 people um, based on their CV who qualify for an interview and then based on the interview they they select the 12 or 13 so um, there are a significant people a number of people that do miss out a lot of those people then dedicate them the following year to trying to improve their uh, CV to try and practice doing the interview and then apply um, a second time um, so that that is also a, a well-accepted pathway. As a consultant, and especially one with a subspecialty, what does your typical day involve currently? So I think gastroenterology is a, um, a field where you can shape um, your work to, in, in lots of different ways. So I, I'm... Um, I've subspecialised in the field of endoscopy, so I do um, approximately three days of endoscopy per week. I do two um, clinics, two public clinics um, a week, uh, and then I have a, a two sessions to do paperwork and non and, and non clinical work. That that's my week. Having said that, I've got colleagues that consult for four or five sessions a week and only do one or two uh, sessions of endoscopy. So there's a very, um, there's a, a large capacity in gastroenterology to, to do lots of different things. Um, I have colleagues that um, subspecialise in inflammatory bowel disease and they um, go to those specialised clinics, they do research and they do very little endoscopy. I have also have other colleagues that specialise in liver disease who look after, prim primarily look after hepatitis, um, patients with liver cirrhosis and, and also uh, focus on research as well. So um, my experience in endoscopy, I wouldn't say is classic for, for a gastroenterologist. 
Um, the other thing to mention is that I do most of my work in the public hospital system. There are a lot of gastroenterologists that just do private gastroenterology, and that principally involves a combination of consulting in your private suite and in doing endoscopy in a, in a private day centre or private hospital. Um, I also have a, a component to my work. I, I get rostered on to ward service um, one month of the year. Oh, sorry, sorry, three months, one month at a time, three times. So I do three months of ward service a year, and I also do some on call for emergency endoscopy, and that involves being um, called into the hospital if there's uh, someone has emergency gastrointestinal bleeding or has a food bolus obstruction that needs to be removed. And I typically do about four weeks of on call. Uh, a year as well. With you being able to mould your day and your year to how you like it, is it difficult to do that? Is it difficult to find places that are willing to take you for the roles that you wish? Or because I guess at the moment a lot of people, a lot of doctors are finding that the that their work is quite fragmented in that they have, for example, point one or point two mm-hmm. full time equivalents here and there, and then all up it becomes like a the whole week. Mm. Is it difficult to find, to be able to mould it to how you like, or is it generally quite easy? Look, look, I th- it, I'd say it, um, it, it's, it, it's not that easy. It, it doesn't, um, when you finish your um, specialty training and come back, you know, if you go overseas or if you, if you do further, if you do a, an MD or a PhD in Australia, um, generally people don't hand you your perfect job on a silver platter. And my experience is that generally you have to take what's available when you first qualify which is a bit of a shock to the system because you think you're going to finish your special training you're highly qualified and you don't expect to have to um, you know take work that you don't think is is um, is you know really excites you I think the best message for um, specialist registrars that are finishing up is um, generally cast a wide net um, most people end up working at multiple um, hospitals initially, as you said, doing one or two sessions at multiple sites. There might be a fair bit of travel. And then eventually, as, as years progress, they, they're able to consolidate in one or two different sites and shape, the, um, shape their career they want. But no, it, the perfect job doesn't exist and certainly is not being given, um, given away to, to brand new physicians. Sure. What is the most rewarding part about your day-to-day job and your specialty? Uh, I, think, I think there are lots of really satisfying um, things to my, to my job. I, I really like working in the public hospital system and working as part of a team. And that involves collaborating with junior staff, the registrars in, in particular, as well as the, the, the residents. So I, I really enjoy collaborating with those staff, teaching the, the registrars. And I think that's one of the main reasons people work in the, in the public hospital system. Um, I think um, having really good interactions with patients um, has to be a big part of what we do as as, as doctors. I think if you don't enjoy um, looking after patients, chatting with them and treating them, then I think you're going to um, struggle no matter what area of medicine you, you get into. 
that doesn't mean you have to you have to be warm and fuzzy with with every patient but i think having having positive interactions and and getting something off off the patient is is uh, from the patient is 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 um is one of the things that i enjoy about the job and then probably from a, a technical side of things um, as an endoscopist, having trained in, in an expert centre overseas, I really like um, the challenge of doing difficult procedures and then helping the patient by doing something that that other, that someone else wouldn't necessarily have been able to do. Or as an endoscopist, I, I'm now, we're, we are able to do things that were previously um, only able to be treated by surgery. Now we're able to do them with minimal endoscopy, minimally invasive endoscopy. So the technical side of things still excites me and is one of the reasons that, um, that, that, that I love doing high-end endoscopy. Conversely, what is the part of the job that you struggle with the most or is the most difficult to deal with? Mm. Um, probably still s- staying on the technical side of things. Having complications as a proceduralist is, is very is very I think hard to accept we we all strive to be the best we can and to um, have very good outcomes um, and unfortunately if you do a, a, a um, procedural especially you are going to have complications um, and initially that's that's very hard to accept and each time that happens you feel bad it's a blow to your ego you feel bad for the patient who who may then have to have surgery or have a prolonged hospital stay um, I think eventually you you learn to accept that um, complications are an inevitable part of of, of pushing the boundary of, of what's capable um, in, in in medicine um, apart from that I think just the challenges of being very busy paperwork on top of seeing patients um, can can feel overwhelming at times um, and so I think um, f- f- for for having f- for your own mental health I think having a couple of sessions a week where non-clinical sessions where you're able to do paperwork and um, and um, ne- not network with colleagues, but discuss difficult situations with colleagues is really is really important as well. Because I think medicine is a really challenging career, and if you try and do it all by yourself and you're isolated, I think that that's um, where you potentially sh- pe- 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 people struggle. How has your role for both the patient and in your general uh, activities day to day changed going from being a registrar to being a consultant? I think probably the biggest change, the biggest mindset, um, or the biggest change is the mindset that you have to you have to adopt um, as a changing from being changing from being a registrar to a consultant is that as a consultant you you ultimately have responsibility for the patient. You're the one that has to make the decisions, uh, and you're the one that has to. Um, guide treatment and ultimately make difficult decisions I think as a registrar you've always got someone to to go and talk to whenever you're faced with a difficult situation you're not sure what to do so you'll always go and check it with your boss or go and talk to another colleague go and talk to um, to to, to another consultant so I think um, that that mindset of, of 
really assuming ultimate responsibility for the patient is something that um, that that you need to come come to terms with as a as a new consultant having said that there's there's as a consultant we still discuss patients um, with other with our colleagues um, and and certainly within gastroenterology for example I'll have I'll see patients that have um, specific liver um, conditions that I then go and consult with with my colleagues who are specialists in that area so while you're not expected to to know everything um, you, you are expected to take I guess ultimate responsibility for your patient. You mentioned before that I guess in the recent times gastroenterology has changed and now we've got minimally invasive endoscopy to uh, circumvent patients needing surgery. How do you see the field changing in the next five to ten years? Yeah so I, I think if if things continue as they have then more and more conditions that were previously managed only with surgery will be managed um, endoscopically. Um, one of the big advances is in endoscopy at the moment is with a procedure called endoscopic ultrasound and that um, that's essentially where a, a gastroscope um, has a small ultrasound probe stuck on the end and that's um, passed down into the stomach and we're able to um, um, basically perform an ultrasound while inside the patient in the stomach and that allows us to get really good pictures of the um, pancreas, biliary tree and gallbladder and one of the um, the new frontiers is being is using that endoscopic ultrasound device to um, to um, perform therapeutic procedures while in the patient so for example um, one of the new procedures that's being developed overseas is being able to drain the gallbladder directly into the stomach so instead of in the past a patient that wasn't fit to have a cholecystectomy might have a cholecystostomy tube so a um, that's a radiology procedure where you pass a tube directly through the the patient's abdomen directly into the gallbladder to to decompress that and drain the the gallbladder well instead of draining that through the skin and into a, a bag that sits on the outside the, the patient's skin where we're now able to put a stent in through the gallbladder and um, and have that connecting with the stomach so the gallbladder drains directly into the stomach so no need for external tubes and it's a procedure that can take 20 minutes half an hour during during an endoscopy list so it's procedures like that that were previously um, you know a lot more invasive usually managed with surgery that we're, we're able to do more and more through through endoscopy Make sure to keep in touch with us through social media. Our handle is at the Med Collab, that's T-H-E-M-E-D-C-O-L-L-A-B, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. Now back to the show. How would you say your work-life balance is at the moment, and how are you able to balance everything, and has anything had to take a hit? Yeah, I think that that's a really good question, and and one that's particularly pertinent given the the rates of of mental health, uh, mental illness, and and alcohol, alcoholism that we um, that that's always reported in the media about doctors. I, I think I've I've managed to actually maintain a pretty good work life balance right throughout my career as a medical student, um, trainee, and now as a consultant. Um, 
my journey through medical, my, my junior years was slightly different in, in, in the fact that I've taken two years off um, to go and pursue basically recreational activities over, over the past um, 15 years. The first year I took off was as a, after my fifth year at uni, I went and did a ski season over in, in, uh, in the States and then travelled around South America for six months. Um, and the second year I took off, I, I went back and did some volunteer work in uh, Central and South America and then also did some additional travelling after that. So I, I, um, I think that having time away from medicine and having um, hobbies outside of medicine is, is, is extremely important and getting a good work-life balance. I think gastroenterology, I've been lucky, gastroenterology uh, and working in a public hospital I think lends itself to a good work-life balance because um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, the, the sessions at the public hospital are done during hours, so there's a morning or an afternoon session and generally they, they finish at five o'clock. Um, after hours, there's generally a registrar on call rather than a consultant directly, so you're you're buffered from from um, patients. Um, and and working in the public, um, I should say, working in the private hospital, sorry, working in the private system as a private specialist is a lot more demanding. So there's no um, hospital infrastructure there to protect you against after hours calls. Um, from from the private hospital or from your private patients, so I think private um, physicians, private specialists, um, work a lot harder um, and are potentially on call more after hours, which can really interfere with the work-life balance. At the moment, I'm not doing any private practice, so I don't have after-hours calls. I don't have I don't have people calling me on the weekend, except for when I'm specifically on call for Eastern Health, and then I have a, a registrar who's called first before me so that I guess that decision about whether to work in the public or the private sector is is very important in helping to determine your work-life balance the lure in working for in the private sector is obviously that you it's better remunerated and the potential to make more money is is there but I think there's there's definitely a risk that that encroaches on your on your personal and family time out outside of work hours so that's a decision that each person needs to make um, for them for themselves um, some people love what they do and devote themselves including weekends to to, to, to working as a doctor I, I think personally think that that's unhealthy and and that maintaining a, a good balance is essential to being to being a good doctor um, I think it's easier to do as a physician than some other um, specialties such as um, such you know obviously surgery is, is one that's held up as as a as a um, as an area where work-life balance is is particularly at risk um, I, I've been lucky <laughs> sure the years off that you took is that something that you'd recommend um a lot of people would do or is it just was it just I guess a personal thing that you wanted to take time off do you yeah. find it to be quite therapeutic yeah I, I would um, thoroughly I would strongly recommend people to, to think about taking a year off if it's something that you're remotely interested in doing um, I certainly don't think there's any reason to rush through 
uh, your under your undergraduate and and and, med, and medical student years rushing into a a training program and then trying to finish as soon as possible. There's no prize for finishing first, and you, you're going to be a doctor for the rest of your career I think taking um, taking time off um, pursuing other hobbies um, you know even if it's a, a year in research that, that, that you might be interested in I would I would strongly encourage people to do it I think it's probably looked upon reasonably favorably that you have interests outside just your stock standard um, medical career and you're prepared to, to, to think and to think outside think outside the box um, so I don't think it's me taking time off um, impaired my career in any way and I think it, it, it yeah, as I said before I think it was probably looked upon favorably that's a really good point it's important to have your hobbies and not to lose them in your pursuit for becoming a like a, an established doctor essentially mm. what kind of people do you think should be doing gastroenterology or pursuing it or if it's easier to answer, what kind of people wouldn't be suited to do gastroenterology? Yeah, I, I think uh, I don't think there's one stereotypical um, personality or type of person that, that does gastroenterology. As I said before, um, within the, the field of gastroenterology, there are different areas. There's I'm I'm a sort of I'm on the the practical clinical end of things doing endoscopy. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, there are people that do that devote themselves um, almost entirely to research. So, people are very academic. Um, so, I, I think I don't think that um, the field of gastroenterology specifically excludes in anyone. I think if you've got the um, the skills to pass and, and skills and knowledge and, and personality to pass the FRACP, the exams, then 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 I think you've, you've probably got the um, capacity to, to work as a gastroenterologist. Uh, and I think there are that's one of the best things about medicine is that I think there are niches for, for there's a niche for everyone, no matter what your personality or interests are. Is there any particular pieces of advice that you've learned along the way that you wish you would have known as an intern? Or even if there's certain things that you know that can make an intern's life easier? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I, I think probably, I probably didn't reach out to people um, who were senior to me as much as I could have as a junior doctor. So if I didn't sit, for example, I didn't sit down with my registrar and have a heart to heart about what I was gonna do. And I, I didn't sit down with heads of units and talk to them and try and get them to help um, give me advice about, uh, about future careers. I guess I probably felt intimidated. I felt like I probably was sort of insignificant in their eyes. I was only a junior doctor. But I, I think um, now as a consultant, when people do come and talk to my head of the department or come and talk to me, I certainly feel very receptive and I'm quite keen to try and pass on my experience and, and help um, junior doctors. So I, I would encourage people to go and try and seek help um, with either their registrar or consultant or head of unit because I think generally people are very receptive, particularly in public hospitals where they see their role as teaching, where one of their roles is teaching in education. So, um, and I think that f feeds back into what I said before about 
pe- people won't hand you a career on a silver platter. I think you need to go out and and um, not earn it, but go out and and help shape shape your career. Once again, I think it's a really good point, especially as a medical student. And in our first year of clinical work, you often get the feeling that. Uh, doctors are too busy to spend extra time with you so if you have organized shoots or whatever mm. that's fine but it's you often feel intimidated asking them for extra time mm. because you think that their time could be better spent than to be spent talking to you um, but it's really important to get that conversation started because otherwise you just stay lost and your questions yeah. don't get answered yeah I remember certainly as a as a as a medical student you you know it's a terrible feeling being being lost you almost feel like an orphan you don't necessarily belong to a unit and uh and and i think if you can show enthusiasm or if you're particularly interested in something and and approach people even even repeatedly then i i think generally people are very receptive receptive to that and genuinely genuinely they feel good about other people being interested in their specialty as 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 well definitely because it's that altruistic uh uh, feature that a lot of doctors and a lot of medical students have there. We all want to help other people. Mm. This is one of the best ways to help your colleagues. Mm. Wonderful. Uh, so that's all the questions that I had for you. Is there anything else you wanted to share with us or any other last words of wisdom? Oh, thanks, Pedro. No, look, I think I've, I've probably said all that I wanted to. I, I think the, the journey of being a, a, junior, a medical student and junior doctor, I think, can, can be rewarding, but it can also be very challenging at, at times. Uh, and I think you go through periods where you, you get excited and other periods where you might get disheartened and, and feel lost and, and feel like the, the study's never going to end. But, but I think, I look, I, I think... Um, that medicine is a great career and and the study and the effort is definitely worth 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 it in the end um so i'd encourage everyone to to push on and and uh, and keep trying wonderful thank you so much for coming thank you that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening please make sure to complete the survey for this episode we want to make sure the episodes are as useful as possible and the surveys help us to monitor whether they're making an impact on our fellow peers. It only takes 30 seconds and it helps more than you can imagine. The link can be found on our Facebook and our blog. Alright guys, see you next week.